You're listening to a podcast from the Media Motel. Coming up this week in episode 349, does being rich and famous make you a genius? Josie Mourinho, is he a visionary, a bully or both? And in the light of recent events, is it time to give up Facebook? It's all coming up after the Style Council and Shout to the Top. Shout on the floor. 
currently being used rather oddly as background music for a TV commercial for an insurance company here in the UK. Uh, reaching number seven in the UK top 40 in 1984, The Style Council and Shout to the Top. Of all the records that were released the year that I was born, mm. I think that might be one of my favourites. I think I love that. Well, it's it's funny, actually. It's not a widely shared view, but if I'm pressed to name my favourite Paul Weller era, mm. I'm increasingly quick to answer the Style Council years, which jam fans, Stanley Road, solo years fans would think, what the devil are you talking about? But I, I rather like those uh, Style Council They were uh, doing tunes. some interesting things. Mm. I think toward the end of the Style Council, they started to go off a bit, I think. But oh, certainly the, the, the yes. early years, I think, were brilliant. I was walking past um, Paul Weller's studio the other day, because it's only mm. up, up the road from here, and um, walking past his studio, and I noticed a barn conversion for sale, which is just about next door. And I, right. looked, you know, I looked it up when I got home. One million one hundred and fifty thousand mm. pounds if you want to live next door to Paul Weller's recording studio. One wow, million that's, that's that's you know that's quite impressive. And also, your neighbours would be quite noisy as well. <laughs> Does that not <laughs> devalue it? There is that, isn't there? And there's always lots of cars and vans, uh, sort of out on the on the little lane outside well, and it's in quite his busy, driveway. I should yeah. Think. So, yeah. so yes. Well, mm. who knows, Frankie? You could probably buy a street of houses for that in Hastings in some areas. Well, do you know what? It's not that big a barn, Jules. It's more or less one floor it's got a mezzanine kind of area with a kind of spirally what you call it circular staircase going staircase, up yeah, yeah i know but otherwise it's just uh, two 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 rather small mm-hmm. bedrooms a large um eating area um which is blended into the living space and not a very big garden one do million. you think it's the proximity to you that's put the price up i wonder it, if that's inevitable it, that's inevitable uh, that, that's got to be it. That's at least that's a good two fifty k right there. I think absolutely. So that's it must your be est- someone that knows in the industry. Your estate agency services there from <laughs> from us. Uh, welcome to the podcast from the parish council. It's episode three hundred and forty nine. I'm Terence Stackerman. Who's that? Why? It's Juliet Harris. Hello. That was a, a refreshingly ordinary introduction. You, Enjoying that very much. Thank you very much. Hello, everyone. Do you know why I spent about half an hour uh, before we, we before we joined together here trying to make anagrams out of Juliet Harris or Juliet Lucy Harris? It just can't be done. It just can't be done. Mm-hmm. So I, I gave up and thought, oh, I'm just going well, to do a normal got, intro. People have tried it previously. And you do. The, there seems to be a preponderance of the word rash, which is not unpleasant oh dear, no, or, no, not well, pleasant well, or rashy. So, so yes, let's leave that. I'm on. glad I didn't develop that any further then. Quite, yes. One, one of the things I've noticed over the years is that when people turn up on on the news or interview-based shows, um, Andrew Marr, Robert Peston, that sort of thing, the guests on these shows never say, I don't know in response to a question. Yeah, no, exactly. You never hear someone answer a question like, um, so do you think the Russians are responsible for the poisoning in Salisbury? They never say, I'm very sorry, I simply don't know. Um, presumably people feel they will look un- uninformed if they say they don't know, but I think it would be refreshing to hear such an answer. Now, it's one thing for politicians to turn up on these shows and spout on as if they know the answer to everything. <laughs> but increase... It's sort of their job to at least say that they know, I suppose. Well, I, I would respect Mr Corbyn or, or Mrs May or, yeah. or uh, any other party uh, spokesman who just said, well, I'm not sure, I need to think about that for a bit. That's mm. a good question. I'm, I'm not altogether sure. I'd, I'd respect them for that. But anyway, 
increasingly, people who have made it in the business world, say James Dyson, the vacuum cleaner man, or uh, another example, that bloke from that owns Weatherspoons. Um, oh, yes. They, they Tim t- Martin, I think his name is. Sounds right. Yes, they turn up on these shows and others like Question Time on the BBC, and they too have to give the appearance of having an answer to everything. Perhaps I'm being unkind, Jules, perhaps running uh, a chain of pubs, or inventing a vacuum cleaner, it suddenly imbues you with a searing insight into how to solve the greatest challenges facing mankind. Well, I mean, I have some sympathy with your view, but I'm, I'm trying to think about this in the round, as I occasionally yeah. do on matters. Not always, usually. I'm, I'm as opinionated and crass as everybody else that goes on Question yeah. Time. But, um, oh, by the way, my dad is very, very keen on Kirsty Allsop, not because he finds yeah. her to be a good-looking lady, but because he was very impressed with her insight on Question Time, apparently, oh, he I told see. me. Okay. I know. I, I, I well, she's a lady who always has a strong view on social well, and media. That's so that's um, it, yeah. isn't it? I suppose really. But I think the thing that I can understand why these people are kind of rolled out is that they are. I suppose we we very much the system that we have in Britain. We very much lionise successive uh, successes in business, don't we? And mm. I, I use Lord Sugar as an example oh, here, God. who was actually a, a member of the House of Lords, mm. and a friend of mine used to work for him as one of his political advisors in the House of Lords, and and did a lot of research for him around um, energy. Oh, right. Energy bills. This is this was a 2015 era. 2010, he, he gave up the Labour whip, didn't he? If I remember he did. correctly, yeah. he did over Corbyn. And mm. um, well, no, it was. Or, actually, no, it wasn't. That's that's completely untrue. Before mm. someone jumps all over him, and that's mm. untrue. He actually gave up the whip because he didn't like the direction of the party over Millenbound. Needless to say, he is wildly <laughs> anti-Corbyn. But he'd actually, and I couldn't understand. This friend of mine stood for Parliament, and we couldn't understand why she was so available. Obviously, we were very pleased that she was always around, but we couldn't understand why for the four months in the, in the run-up to the election, she was everywhere. She was out every day. She was all over the place. And I remember saying to someone, why, why is she here all the time? Should she not be at work? And they said, oh, Labour Party advisor job. I, I reckon they, they turn a blind eye. Mm. Actually, he had given up the whip in January, but they deliberately didn't publicise oh. it. So she was basically being paid for a job that didn't exist, the contract of which then expired the day before election day and she didn't win the seat so that was not a very easy time for her mm. frankly but um but so so and i think that, that the reason that people like lord sugar and also richard branson as well oh, who's busy yes. scooping up all kinds of government mm. contracts isn't he mm. i think these people are, are kind of treated with some level of reverence because i suppose if you run a business and it's not just i mean i know you rather sort of impishly say that dyson designs <laughs> a vacuum cleaner actually he's designed a number of products including the only hand dryer i've ever come across that actually works properly in fairness which is Mm. sort of uh, splitting the atom in itself i think in my experience so i guess these people are being treated with this kind of respect because they they haven't just succeeded in business they've succeeded on a on a on a vast scale i think and a huge level and to some extent you could say well that's only quantified in money but I do think Weatherspoons, like them or not, have had a huge cultural impact in Britain. I could I could write a lot about that. I remember talking to another political friend of mine recently who is like me, is pro Remain, but she also ran for Parliament in a very a very UKIP vote leave constituency in the sort of Essex Kent area. Mm. And she and she her view was her view is that, is that Brexit is awful, but it has to happen mm. for the sake of democracy. I mean, you, you might or might not agree with that. But her, her view, having spoken to people there, and she said, well, perhaps, you know, we might not agree with Tim Martin's view of that, you know, Britain should vote <laughs> to leave. And there were lots of leave beer mats in all kinds of weather spoons, <laughs> which there were. Mm. We might not agree with that. 
but people like Tim Martin particularly they have the knack of knowing what working communities want. Weatherspoons mm. are sneered at by people that are Guardian readers and they are wildly popular amongst people of a certain income or a certain mm. kind of cultural cash. I have to say, I really like Weatherspoons. One's just opened recently in Bexhill where I work. It's really nice. I bought a tempura salad and an apple juice there the other day for 6 45 and I used the app and they delivered it to my table. I mean, what's not to like? To so, so yeah. I can understand, you know, why... I can understand why these people are giving some credence. One of the best books I've read in recent years is a book called Winners by Alistair Campbell, who I wasn't a great fan of when, when labouring government. I see the utility for him now, I must admit. But um, he wrote this great book about winners and how how people succeed and how big figures that succeed from different fields have similar things in, columns, uh, in common. So he looked at um, politics and sport which he's obsessed with mm. and also business as well so he was talking about crisis management and it, the crisis management thing and i think we're going to go on to talk about facebook mm. uh, later on mm. in the program but um in the program podcast i'm not mm. sure what we're doing anyway so so he talked about he talked to willie walsh who was the i don't know if he still is but he was then the chief exec of and um, the, the ceo of a ba mm. which is share when the terminal five disaster happened and mm. the opening went horribly oh, wrong yes the baggage got lost and people were there for days on end and it was it was meant to be a pr triumph but they turned it round eventually and what he did was that he was visible constantly he was just everywhere i remember turning on the radio thinking if is there ever going to be a day when i don't hear willie walsh whenever i turn on the radio and so and you could compare and contrast that with mark zuckerberg who disappeared for days on end recently when managing this crisis so i think that that these people that are successful on a major level do have things potentially to teach us about problem solving i think and actually in a way politics is problem solving i think when you boil it down you are trying to do as much problem solving although i guess the skill of politics is that you shouldn't find yourself lurching from crisis to crisis and having to solve problems too often you should be planning in a way that problems don't occur but then life is what happens when you make when you're making other plans but i you know i like you i i you know do think oh well you know so you've made a so you've made a, a, a vacuum cleaner so what <laughs> i can see why these people i think it's good to have diversity of voices and that's what does make question time i've pretty much given up watching it now because you know life's too short for the ag but it's there are i like how they get not just politicians on it because actually some would argue that's part of the problem that we're facing in politics at the moment is that politicians come from relatively narrow backgrounds from a relatively narrow walk of life from you know and and they they lead a, very, a relatively closeted lifestyle in westminster yes i know they go home to their constituencies at weekends but some do and some don't frankly and i i think that that actually widening public debate and widening public ideas as to how we're going to solve the big problems of society i think i i, I you know i don't mind the fact that we bring in other voices on question time it keeps it interesting and it keeps it more diverse it shows up the problem as to how politics isn't more diverse and it needs to be more diverse i don't know i don't have as huge a problem with this i'm not saying that we should necessarily expect them to have all the answers having said that though i can see why we look to these voices as well as politicians because they also represent large parts of society thinking about this i i began to look back and i was thinking in in retrospect it seems it seems even funnier now to, to me anyway but it, i did find it rather incongruous at the time of the growth of punk rock mm. uh, you would get these earnest people from the new musical express like tony parsons yeah. um, asking paul simonon of the clash or john lyden or susie sue great political questions and have enormously deep discussions 
when three months before, when they hadn't stumbled um, luckily into a TV studio with Bill Grundy or hadn't been given a bass guitar by their grandmother for their birthday, um, they'd never even heard of the Red Brigade or Mao Tung, And suddenly they all had all the answers to everything, all these young people in these punk mm. bands. And even back then, uh, no one <laughs> then could say, I'm sorry, I don't know. And it struck me, this is how so many people, uh, punk-era people, including Paul Weller, who we were talking about earlier, yeah. in- initially backed Mrs Thatcher because a lot of people forget the so-called punk revolution happened during a Labour government. Yes, of course. Um, is it, you know, 76, 77, and that was in the Callaghan years, and um, Mrs Thatcher got elected in 1979 along with, uh, obviously, her Conservative colleagues. And so a lot of the rebellion uh, that those punk uh, people were... were espousing at the time was anti the government of the day which was a Labour government so absolutely yes it is odd isn't it it just goes to show that people young people don't always think things through do they necessarily so so yeah I mean I can see I'm always interested to know what people think politically actually and I, I do have a slight problem with people assuming that because you don't do politics for a living because you know you you have the audacity to learn you know to make a living by learning and playing the guitar and that sort of thing mm. I I I think it's wrong to treat those opinions as invalid and I am still interested to know because people are still voting citizens as well as you and I are but I do have agreement with you in that I do think that as well as not giving those those opinions opinions enough credence it's also not that wise to give them too much i suppose yes now jose Mourinho, a visionary Boo. or, or <laughs> Sorry, bully that's respect. okay yeah. uh, that's next right after scritty politi
with amazingly Miles Davis on trumpet. I still can't believe that. <laughs> that is the maddest thing ever. It really it's is. It's great, but it's just bonkers. It really is. Um, that has a sort of gorgeous melancholy running through it, I think. Number 13 in the UK in 1988. Scritti Politti and Oh Patty, Don't Feel Sorry for Loverboy. Anyone who has ever worked in an office, factory or shop or I think particularly anyone who's attended school at some point in their lives, which is most of us, has come across a manager in the workplace or a teacher at school who has taken some peculiar joy in undermining either you or you've seen it happening to others. Mm. Uh, It's a while now since I was at school, but I can still remember all too vividly how some teachers would pick on quiet children, perhaps on those who had some sort of health issue, mental or physical, and those that seemed a bit slower than others in some ways. And the argument that those teachers and uh, transferred to the office or factory some managers put forward is that these so-called underachieving workers or students need to be pressed to be pushed to perform in order to get the best out of them now this week one of the major stories in sport is the treatment of the manchester united defender luke shaw by his manager jose Mourinho. Almost since he arrived as manager at Manchester United, Mourinho has set out a pattern of criticising, quite severely, uh, Luke Shaw, who, by the way, is 22 years old. Now, mm. when I was 22... He's I... younger than his squad number. <laughs> yes, that's right. His squad number's 23. That's crazy, isn't it? I absolutely know. When I was 22, I absolutely know uh, that if anyone in authority was constantly criticising me, never mind in public, that would have had a negative effect on me. But am I missing something here, Jules? Is this all some sort of amazing plan to turn Luke Shaw into the best defender in the world or is it bullying well I'm no great fan of of Jose and I'm inclined to think it's the latter but interestingly I mean they say that that genius is 1% inspiration and 99% perspiration and actually I find it interesting I work in a management role and sort of a minor management role I'm I'm middle management scum basically at the moment And (laughs) and also I often supervise trainees and I find it really interesting that often when you look at the lawyers that rise to the top that become partners in various firms, it's not always the best lawyers that rise up. Mm. It's not always the cleverest lawyers. It's not always, you know, the most helpful lawyers to their colleagues. Sometimes it's not even the most selfish lawyers. It's the ones that... that, that stick at it it's the ones that come in day after day it's like it or not it's not the ones that have large periods of sick it's the ones that get really stressed but continue to work through it that that that's that stay on and i think that this um article uh, matthew letitia has written about this in sky sport uh, for sky sports say criticizing jose Mourinho for his treatment of luke shaw right. criticizing him in public but matthew letitia does say that questions about Luke Shaw's character stem back to his time at Southampton, who he left for Manchester United. And it says here, I remember him getting subbed quite a bit at Southampton, Matthew Letizia, of course, having long-standing mm. Southampton history. And there was a perception that he didn't take a knock very well and was a little bit on the soft side. Also, of course, he suffered a significant broken leg in mm. 2015. And I don't think has ever really recovered from that. And maybe it's a bad combination of perhaps not mentally being the toughest and losing confidence in a way that, that a broken leg does i don't think it's right 
for for Jose Mourinho to, to to smash him in public and to and to kind of constantly point to one player. I think that's not the done thing. When you say oh, we didn't perform very well today, you don't then go and say, oh, yeah, our left back Luke Shaw was particularly rubbish, or, or you know, that's not what you're meant to do, is it? And I don't think that is effective. I agree with you. Having said that, though, different management styles do work for different players, and. If someone, you know, if so, if, if I mean, if someone repeatedly isn't up to something, if you feel that someone isn't, tr- I mean, I think the most frustrating thing as a manager, I don't mind if people aren't capable of doing things. That's fine as long as they recognise themselves that they're not capable of doing things and ask for help. I think that's perfectly fine. If someone tries and tries over a completion statement and can't get it to add up, at least they've tried and we can try and find a way of fixing that. If they're not even trying, that absolutely riles me. I hate it when people clock in, perform at 60% because they can't be bothered and then clock out again. I find it really, really frustrating when so many others work so hard. So I do have a bit of sympathy with Mourinho in the sense that if he does feel that Luke Shaw is not trying very hard in training, that his, his, his shoulders constantly go down when met with challenges that other people would would face easily i can understand why that is frustrating but i don't think he's handling it i think to handle that publicly is not right at all see if i if this treatment of luke shaw was an isolated incident it might be seen differently okay yeah Mourinho follows this same pattern wherever he goes instant success followed by a cataclysmic decline uh, soon after which almost always includes transferring um, responsibility to others, usually the yes, club that's owners very true, and, actually, and the players. Yeah. At Chelsea, actually, you could probably create a full team from the players he fell out with. Or oh, made... and they'd be really good. They'd probably be top six, <laughs> wouldn't they? Well, they would. You know, he either, you know, when fell out with them, horrid remarks to the press again, simply transferred them out because he didn't like them. I mean, they include quite extraordinarily Romelu Lukaku. Juan Mata, Kevin De Bruyne, Samuel Eto'o. I can't, I can't of... believe Kevin De Bruyne. I know. Look at Kevin I De Bruyne know. now. I tell you what's interesting. Uh, Alex Ferguson is used, I think, in, mm. in Alistair Campbell's book as a kind of a great idea of a great sort of leader. And I think Jose might be as well, weirdly. Mm. But anyway, he's, but actually the thing that I like about Alex Ferguson is when they say to him, what player do you regret selling or what do you think your biggest mistake was Alex Ferguson nearly always says I wish I'd never sold Japstam mm. and he basically says admits I think that it was a personality issue yes. and that and that it was sort of his well I get the impression that he ta- he owns that and takes responsibility mm. for it and says I shouldn't have sold him he was you know we needed him he was an excellent player and he basically sold him in a fit of pique so actually I admire people like Sir Alex Ferguson if you do those things fine we all make mistakes we all you know all of us make decisions on impulse when we're cross well I say all of us all of us normal people do mm. <laughs> anyway at least you know most people do because people are human aren't they but I to, to then own that, I think is great. But if you keep following this pattern, as you rightly say with Mourinho, and then you don't you don't own that, again as a manager, I find it so frustrating when you're managing someone and it's always ever someone else's fault. So mm. you say you haven't done this, and they go, "Oh, I asked so and so to do that," or "Oh no, I didn't," or there's always some excuse. Oh, I thought blah 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 blah. There's always some BS, and you just think, "Oh, for God's sake, can you not just go?" Oh my God, I'm so sorry. I'm really sorry. You know, I I will do whatever I need to do to fix it. And you go, "Okay, fine. Let's try and fix it." I mean, I know that people get make mistakes, but when you constantly blame others and show no contrition that is maddening and it's not the road to success i don't think i mean of course um 
with Mourinho. It's not just players. Um, we, we've talked before about his disgraceful behaviour towards uh, Dr. Eva Carniero. Oh, uh, but that's just, that's just beyond the pale, frankly. Yeah. I think he's an unpleasant man. I think Mourinho is an unple- yeah. unpleasant man. His behaviour is indulged by football club owners, um, desperate for instant success. Well, and because then, you get the short burst of success, don't you? That's right. And they, So they ignore the problems he creates until they become untenable and then he moves on and, and the cycle continues yeah. elsewhere. Yeah. It's been a bad week for Facebook. Ha- have you thought about giving it all up? That's next after Blur. This song did ring into my head a lot this week, <laughs> given given mm. the Cambridge Analytica Facebook of data mining revelations, and I, I I enjoyed this song. I it took me a very long time to get into Think Tank by Blur, mm. but once I did manage to kind of find a way into it, there's some smashing songs on it, and they always seem to have on most of their albums the obligatory short, fast, daft song. And I very much enjoyed the version on this album. This is Blur from Think Tank, and we've got a file on you. It's certainly short and to the point. Isn't isn't it? Absolutely, yes. Um, they have one on 13 called B-L-U-R-E-M-I, which I think wrote something to the Sex Pistols as well. And, of course, Song 2 is, is, oh, yeah. is, is yeah, one of their big successes. The reason it's called Song 2 is because it is the second song on the album. That was the working title. And Jamin Albarn's Woohoo vocal was meant to be a guide vocal. <laughs> there was not meant to be the original vocal but they just went all right then we'll keep it and also apparently there are no guitars on the chorus of song two they are distorted basses of course in america that's what blur are known for is something because it's played in every sports stadium in america and they've said previously that they that they they could have made even more money out of Mm. it if they wanted to completely suspend their principles for example they were offered a ton of money for it to do the stealth bomber launch i think in in america it was something crazy they made enough money up the Mm. nhl hockey (laughs) yes absolutely (laughs) now when i heard that the harvesting of people's personal information was based on the use of some personality test advertised on facebook i have to say i wasn't too surprised because there's been a loophole with regards to the data we allow particularly online um companies that hold about us and um when you receive notifications of an update to some software or website i'm sure we all do this it's often accompanied by a hundred page online document setting out the terms and conditions which none of us ever read. We click OK, I accept these terms and conditions, and we move on. Now, of course, those terms and conditions might, and often do, uh, contain a clause where we agree to that company having access to whatever level of our of our data. And it's only when a crisis happens or they get caught out, like Cambridge Analytica and Facebook, yeah. that we're forced to confront 
the fact that we willingly put our trust in complete strangers in the sense we have no idea what these companies are going to do with our info. And But in the light of the spotlight that's been shown on this particular social media platform this week, Jules, do you think that this will drive you, maybe others, to delete Facebook from your life? Um, well... It's not great, frankly. Mm. It's it's and actually, interestingly, um, Emma Kennedy's been tweeting today um, mm. about this, and you can apparently request your data files from Facebook. So, what data files have Facebook mm. got on you? And this isn't necessarily oh, I filled in a quiz saying what type of hamster am I on a mm. Tuesday. It's you know, it's proper. What have Facebook? I got didn't on know you could do this. Well, neither did I until mm. today. Mm. And Emma Kennedy tweets, I've just looked at the data files I requested from Facebooks, and they had every single phone number in my contacts. They had every single social event I went to, a list of all my friends and their birthdays, and a list of every text I've sent. They have plundered my phone. They have phone numbers of people who aren't on Facebook. They have phone numbers of household names. Well, this is Emma Kennedy, who I'm sure mm. would be furious to know their phone numbers are accessible. I'm appalled. And then she's tweeted, a guide saying that you can mm. this how you do it so that for me goes beyond yes it's one thing if i want to give up my data if i'm stupid enough which i have been occasionally mm. i have to be honest to say oh you know i've put my data in because i want to know what type of yogurt best represents my personality <laughs> or whatever it is that they are doing this week um uh, it says that i'm by the way quite sensitive and popular with all my neighbors um i then then you know that's fair that's fair enough that's my own stupidity that's at fault but if they are actually mining into people's phones, and i've suspected this previously because on the people you may know feature hmm. they have occasionally people have popped up on the people you might know feature and i've thought how on earth have they got there? Mm. People like my landlord when I rent it and one of my clients from work whose home number happened to be on my phone mm. and and someone I gave, a, 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 a landlady of an ex-girlfriend of mine who I gave a reference to. But you must have done that rent- by email or on your phone and you no, must have given no, access. No I, no, I hadn't. This is it, Terence. Mm. This is it. I've never actually said mm. you can access my telephone numbers. I've never actually said you can. I've never done any emails to, to Dave, my old landlord. The only evidence I had in my phone was that I had Dave's number in my phone address book. So I have suspected for ages that Facebook have been doing stuff that they haven't they haven't been meant they haven't meant to. Um it depends, really. With with all things in life, I always think, well, once the bad outweighs the good, I'll stop doing it. Mm. And with Facebook, I know lots of a few of my friends have left, and and mm. I completely understand that. I find it to be an excellent way of keeping in touch with people quickly. And recently, my dad wasn't very well, and he had to go into hospital, and that was all very stressful. And it was particularly stressful for my mum because people well-meaningly kept ringing her up all the time and texting mm. her to ask her what was going on. Of course, I went around there one night and she was just sat there eating her dinner whilst her mobile phone was constantly going off and she was trying to stop eating to deal with it. And in the end, I just took the phone and dealt with it. But mm. what I was doing was I was putting updates on Facebook so that a lot of our friends and family that are friends with me on Facebook, mum's on Facebook as her own cat and and won't engage with anyone, which I admire hugely. She she rejects, She's rejected friend requests from members of her own family and and her neighbour mm. and her best friend because she won't engage with anyone. She just uses it to kind of stalk other people, I think. But mm. um, but it was useful to, for us because I could then say, oh, Dad didn't get taken down to surgery today, but they think he'll go tomorrow. And, you know, mm. it's, and, and then various members of my family and our 
friends could see that and they could see what was going on so actually in order to, to corral people into things quickly facebook's still very useful i think but I wonder if something will pop up to replace it that is less intrusive at some point. And if it did, I would probably go with that because they're, they're you know, they're all of the revelations that are happening this week show that actually if so many people are on Facebook that they you know it has access to an enormous amount of data mm. and yes we do consent to give them some of that data I'm not convinced that it has data that I've consented to give them all of it frankly for reasons that I've just given mm. but I you know yes with great power comes great responsibility and the fact that you know they are abusing that data if someone could come along and could promise not to abuse that data and be believed and be trusted i wonder yes it fulfills a social function and this is why it's become so popular it's popular for a reason i i can take or leave facebook and i brother like your mother i'm I'm not sure why I just don't know why. I've never really taken to it. To be fair, it's never really taken to me. Uh, I suppose I don't use it's it always, enough. When I get a like off Terence, I always feel that's a higher quality value like than many others. <laughs> Thank you. I don't think I use it enough to generate much interest from people. I think you have to be a regular user, and I only pop in from time to time to either plug this podcast or to check out what family members and friends are doing, <laughs> rather like, like your mum. You know, I just don't engage much with Facebook, really. But, of course... Anyone using information about us has an element, anything like that has an element of worry about it, as you say. But I think another thing that concerns me uh, just as much, maybe if not more, is that companies clearly believe it's quite, quite a straightforward task to manipulate then the way people behave including the way yeah. they vote which is what this was all about well, this is the huge, the huge scandal isn't and it? to me that's very disturbing that people are so easily manipulated in such numbers as well that potentially it can alter the result of an election or a referendum absolutely and this is the fake news thing and mm. the thing that's become so sort of terrifying really interestingly and this is the second week in a row like an obligatory plug the emailer that i've been mm. producing recently i i posted a link in that um it's called the jewels letter by the way if anyone's interested and and it's a tiny letter and you can you i, I post various links to things and i was driving home i was trying to the hospital to see my dad earlier this week and i have pm on as i often do i'm not a fan of today as regular listeners mm. know or not always but i do genuinely really like pm i think it's very interesting and i do like eddie mayor's manner i must admit and um they had james burke on who is a very long-standing journal technology journalist mm. i suppose and reporter at the bbc and he was there at the moon landings for example this is how far back yes. we're going so and he's he's sort of i like to think of him as the david attenborough of sort of technology news mm. reporting really and they get him on every so often to they just get him to talk he just does a piece of him just doing a sort of a monologue for about three or four minutes about what he thinks and it's far more interesting than that that implies really and he um his last one that he did was the the most listened to pm podcast for six years or something crazy like that so he's very popular and he did this thing about they asked him about the facebook revelations and what does it mean and blah blah, blah. and he then started talking about direct democracy and i thought this was very interesting that he said well look if we are going to go down this route of you know people mining our data and trying to use our data to sell us stuff or you know to work out our habits or our our leanings so that then we can work out you know and and even and legitimate political parties use it for campaigning and you know i can use it i mean so i run the indie wonderland 
Facebook page hmm. and I can take occasionally do targeted advertising and it offers you it says right okay what sort of people do you want to advertise to so I can pick the gender of people I want to advertise you to I can pick the age group of people I want to advertise to and I think in the past I've been able to pick people that like a certain band or people that hmm. like a certain interest so I think I said once right I'd like to target men from 30 to 40 who have indie or Brit pop in their likes and interests and mm. it targeted advertising and it showed me how many clicks I got so mm. so I mean and so he was talking about direct democracy in the, in, in, the, in, the, in the case that you know given that we can do that for marketing data mm. he said well are we can we are, are we perhaps going to enter a world whereby and he wasn't judgmental that was makes mm. it interesting he was just sort of doing this with a straight back saying why might we reach a point whereby bureaucrats in charge can scan sort of what we want from our facebook profiles so you know those of us moaning about nhs service although Mm. i have no complaints this week but you know things Mm. like that can we then work out what people want from their social media content and just put bureaucrats in charge to implement it is that a thing that we might be approaching i don't know if if, if it is or if it isn't but he said maybe it's a good idea to think about these things now and think about what options with these options we do or don't want now rather than when it suddenly pops up in 40 years time yes that's a a very good point but whilst a lot of people would be thinking of giving up facebook everyone wants to engage with you though jules so that's that's very nice to know thank you (laughs) where can they catch you this coming week well this coming week um, I, I'm not actually doing very much because it's Easter weekend, mm. and I tend to sort of I tend to te- I tend to set that aside to spend with my family anyway. But there is a quiz going on on the Thursday evening, and it for sort of Hastings and Southeast uh, folk, coastal people, the David Quantic quiz is taking oh. place again at the uh, Kino Theatre in St Leonard's. Uh, Kino Theatre in St Leonard's. He's brilliant. He does these quizzes. He has had to make them easier over time because mm. they used to be very well mm. attended. I mean, they they uh, I've had some wonderfully mad hard moments at David Quantic's quizzes. My favourite ever round being Mothal Radiohead B-side. <laughs> and that was very good. And also the the now notorious Hamlet soliloquy round where he he played the beginning to the end of To Be or Not To Be from Hamlet, read by eight different voices, and you had to guess who was who, oh and without any options. So that was, the, there was an easier version, there was a video version at Christmas with various people playing Scrooge that was easier, not least of which because one of them was Scrooge McDuck from, <laughs> from, from uh, or Donald duck i think one of the mm. duck family from from disney so uh, so <laughs> I, I will probably go to that so uh, so i would recommend people come to that because it's a lot of fun mm. it's five pound entry but the, there is cash prizes the, the, the cash mm. prizes come from the, from the sort of entry we came second last time and got 80 quid which was basically 40 quid of money and 40 quid of vouchers for the venue cinema vouchers mm. as well, which was great so i'm doing that i'm also hopefully back on the airways with indie wonderland next wednesday i've had to have a couple of weeks off for various reasons but um i will be back eight until 10 p.m. barricaderadio.com indie um rock brit pop alternative rock and uh, the shadowly named miscellaneous <laughs> thanks to you for listening yes you yeah, you there we and know who it is that's listening because we've mined all your data <laughs> <laughs> excellent thanks to executive producer rona um a cl-
closing track. Yes, that, very big thanks to Rona. Absolutely. Closing track that maybe has that particular re- resonance for you this week, Jules. Yes, absolutely. My father was unwell with a poorly heart and uh, was um, furious at my mum ringing 111. Um, thought it was the worst idea anybody had ever had. And by the time they actually got him to the hospital, he couldn't walk across the car park. So it just goes to show mm. what men of a certain age know, sniff. Anyway, so um, he's thankfully all right now. And of course, thinking about all things heart related matters is a tribute to him. And also because I think this song is terrific, frankly. And um, my mum talks fondly of Cilla Black and when she was a teenager she used to go to her friend's house on a, the best friend she won't let her add on Facebook she mm. used to go around to her house on a Saturday evening and they would watch the Cilla Black show and um, Step Inside Love was the theme wasn't it to that what? but this was this was one of Cilla Black was this Cilla Black's first, um, first number one this? oh lord I can't remember off the I think it might head. be it was mm. certainly a very early hit for her anyway but I do I do love this um, so this is for my dad and for everybody that's had probably Problems in the in the heart era, you know, heart area recently. This is the wonderful Cedar Black and anyone who had a heart. Anyone who ever loved could look at me and know that I love you. Anyone who ever dreamed could look at me and know I dream of you. Knowing I. Thank you. 
You have been listening to a DACA Media Production.